Hey, y'all. Welcome to Water Break with Water Boy. It's great to be with you guys. Um, thank you for joining me on Thursday afternoon, 4 p.m. Pacific time. Uh, you know, over the last couple of weeks, as we've been kind of, uh, as you guys have been kind of tuning in, I've been having a lot of pastors in from Canada. I uh, had one of the lawyers in from Canada. What's been going on, you know, over the last month, even more than just the last month, there's been a lot of pressure put on the Canadian churches to remain shut down and everything. So, been kind of hitting this topic pretty consistently over the last month, and I, I really am excited about what's going on today. Uh, I have three pastors from Canada uh, coming on the show. I'll get to them and introduce them here in a minute, but make sure you guys uh, join us at our rally in South Dakota, where we're going to learn to love God, sing psalms, define tyrants. Uh, this is a great, this is kind of all a culmination of what's been going on in the U.S., and of course, we want to encourage our brothers and sisters in Canada what's going on, and, and the church really doesn't need a theology of what it looks like to love God, what it looks like to, to defy, you know, a, a government or governments that are being oppressive and don't have the authority over the church that they think they do, and so that's that's what we hope to do in South Dakota, and I hope you guys join us there. You can go to fightlifeeast.com forward slash rally to join us there. And of course, man, be sign up for our magazine. I wish I could throw up uh, on the screen here. I wish I could throw up our magazine and uh, our new cover. Uh, this next issue is on laughter. And there's some, there's actually kind of a, uh, it's kind of preparing us for Easter. The big joke, the big laugh, the big, uh, you know, uh, work that Jesus did on the cross and what that means and everything. So we're really excited about this magazine coming out again. It, you know, every quarter we want to give you guys a quarterly book experience a kind of mini book experience with our magazine and we hope to kind of redeem uh uh the art of quality magazine so please go to our website sign up for that and everything let me bring in welcome everybody to the show uh thank you for tuning in on youtube uh of course i'll be on youtube i won't be on facebook but thank you guys uh for joining us on on both channels but if you want to hop over to youtube i kind of monitor a little bit of what's going on youtube on thursdays as i as i bring that up Kill that. All right. So let me bring in three of uh, the three pastors that I have with me here today. Uh, and first, of course, I've had Pastor Jacob Rayom on the show before. He's pastor of Trinity Bible Chapel. I won't give a detailed introduction for him since you guys have already met him, know him a little bit and seen some of his works from from uh, from our our uh, social media channels and the show here. I also have with me on the show today, Pastor Tim. Pastor Tim Stevens is a pastor at Fairview Baptist Church. He started ministry in January 2014. Tim also grew up in the in a, on a farm in eastern Ontario and graduated with a computer engineering degree from Queen University and a Master's of Divinity degree from Detroit Baptist Theological Seminary. I don't even know. I didn't even know Detroit had a Baptist Theological Seminary. Uh, he is happily married to Raquel, and they have seven children. Prior to serving at Fairview, Tim also served assistant pastor at Emanuel Baptist Church in Windsor, Ontario. I also have with me on the show today, Pastor Aaron Rock. Pastor Aaron Rock received his education from uh, Heritage College. He got his MDiv from Moody Seminary in Michigan. So Moody's got a branch in Michigan. And his uh, uh, master's in preaching from Wild, Wilfried Lawyer. Uh, uh, lawyer. I'm probably totally botching that up, Aaron. Pro apologize for that. And he got his MDiv or DM uh, in spiritual formation from Liberty University, Aaron uh, met his wife, uh, Susie, in 1993. They got married in 95, and now they have five children, and it's good to know that they're all baptized. So thank you guys uh, for joining me. Thanks for having us. We appreciate it. So, Thanks so much. So, so grateful for all the coverage you've been given to our 
uh, shenanigans north of the border, Gabe. <laughs> you're, you're welcome, Jacob. You know, I, I, as I, I, I know it's not my fault. You guys are getting arrested and going through this, but I, I feel a, a little, um, uh, um, uh, responsible after my arrest, what happened in September, uh, with what's going on in Canada. And I, I just wanted to, you know, um, kind of lean into it and help you guys out as much as we can from our, our neck of the woods. And, uh, you know, uh, we are obviously our largest audience is in uh, the U S but our second largest audience is in Canada. So we really want to help you guys as much as we can. And so, um, yeah, man, thanks. Uh, thanks for the encouragement. And I, I hope that, uh, this show and what we've been doing here in the U S is really helping you guys, uh, fight in Canada. So, uh, thank you. So, uh, pastor Jacob, I want to, I actually want to start with you. Um, you actually, uh, your church originally started getting pressure. You guys got fined you know, or, or actually you got um, uh, ticketed and then the fines were set this last week. We'll get into that in a minute. But but even this past Sunday before you got fined, you actually preached a, a sermon that you uh, that I thought was just fantastic on kind of the state of the pulpit in the church. Uh, it's kind of the state of the pulpit in Canada, really, not not just in, in the church, but state of the pulpit specifically in Canada. Uh, you want to just real quick, maybe summarize why, what that sermon was about and, and why you felt the timing was necessary uh, for that sermon. I have had um, people coming to our church as guests, dozens and dozens of new guests since uh, June, since the first lockdown ended. And I've had a lot of people come into our church and complain to me, okay, about how their previous church, previous pastor was handling things. And I think without exception, I have always said to them, you need to be patient. The brothers are all having a hard time sorting through all this. They all have um, challenges internally within their churches, on their boards. And these are new thoughts and uh, new things that we're having to deal with. So I've always encouraged people to um, uh, be patient with their pastors. And I've always... uh, I've sent some back to their churches saying, you know what, you should probably go back and just help them work through it and give it and give it your all before you start coming out here. Mm-hmm. So that's been, that's been my policy. I think a hundred percent of the time, unless it was like a really, really, really obvious, you know, compromise of the first degree since, since churches came back. So it's been hard for everyone. It's hard for our church. We went through a, real, a difficult season in June and it's been hard for everyone. But when I saw uh, pastor Coates, um, I, he he got when he got arrested and he was taken in and i found out that he wasn't coming out for a while yeah and then i saw two things that bothered me um gabe mm-hmm. that just wrecked me they absolutely wrecked me the first was the silence the silence of the churches the silence of the pastors up until now and i wondered if this would kind of spark outrage and um it didn't and then further, I saw pickiness uh, from pastors and from other Christians on the internet right. that were picking at him, saying, you know, he, well, he's just trying to be a martyr, or this isn't real persecution. Um, someone posted on the internet, he was acting, it, someone posted on the internet, he's kind of like Bunyan, right? Like Bunyan did time. And, and then some seminary professor starts, oh, well, this is how he's not like Bunyan. You know, let's, now's the real time to be real smart about things. Well, a guy's in jail and, and uh, his wife doesn't have him at the dinner table in the evening um, with, with the kids. So, so 
So at that point in time, I really sensed the spirit of God leading me to say something and to address our congregation in a way that I have not addressed them uh, before. And so I preached on on the failure of the shepherds of Israel in Ezekiel 34. And I and I said, this is a postmortem of God's judgment, and it rests squarely on the shoulders of the shepherds who were abject failures and were self-serving. Mm-hmm. And so I called out uh, many of the churches and many of, uh, I guess, my colleagues in the sermon. What Have you heard any uh, kind of blowback from that sermon? Um, a little bit. I just got an email before we got on here from uh, someone who said that they've had a few people complain to them. And uh, you know, it is what it is. As people have accused me of slandering and so on. I, I don't know how I slandered anyone, right. but I, you know, you get a little bit, you expect a little bit of that. I mean, maybe some are just saying, well, he's probably not going to listen anyway. So they don't contact me. About it. I don't know. Yeah. What, I mean, why do you, why do you think this is happening in Canada now? I mean, and, and do you think that there is, uh, that the church had kind of maybe abdicated a long time ago. And then now you get into this, uh, um, circumstance, and 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 now you start speaking out, and then you realize the church is all kind of um, bifurcated or split on this. I mean, it seems like the church has kind of compromised a long time ago for us to be in the situation, you know, and we're in a similar situation in some sense in the U.S. Some of that same stuff's happened to us. Um, but you know, what what is what has been going on in the past for this to be able to happen now? Well, I think it's a really good question. I mean, I I mean, I'm in my own church, so I'm kind of ignorant to what's going on out there. All as I get to see is the fruit of it. And I, my observation is that there is, there is not a lot of preaching on hell. There's not a lot of preaching on judgment. There's not a lot of preaching on sin. And uh, the love of God is applied and interpreted in a way that's inconsistent with Scripture. But, but the, the evangelical force, if you want to put it that way, in Canada, at least in this part of Canada, Ontario, has come from Baptists uh, for the last 75 years, I think. And there's something, I think, historical that I've, that I've heard. It comes up again and again as you talk to Baptists that I, that I have, I guess I've developed my own personal term for. And I call it, I call it the T.T. Shields malaise. Okay. And I call it that because T.T. Shields was, was a, a, a titan of a pastor that emerged in the 20s and 30s. And uh, he fought liberalism. Um, and he was of uh, of the fundamentalist bent, and he pastored what you would consider the Cathedral Baptist Church in Canada. It was downtown Toronto, and um, and so it, because of his stance, really, we have a doctrine of inerrancy within evangelical within the evangelical camp in Canada. But later in his life, people began to perceive him as being overly contentious, and to the point where every Baptist student, I think who's taken a Baptist history course in Ontario, has heard the story of Martin Lloyd-Jones actually rebuking T.T. Shields mm-hmm. for, for how contentious he's become. Mm-hmm. And so my observation is anytime someone wants to get aggressive about something or bold about something, there's, there's almost a knee-jerk reaction amongst Canadian evangelicals of, oh, we better not become like Shields was because we're going to get too bombastic or something like that. And we forget the fact that Shields, you know, I'm sure he had his weaknesses, but we are greatly indebted to the man uh, for what he did and his stance for the inerrancy of scripture and the miracles in the Bible and his, and his stance against liberalism. Right. And sure we can learn from his errors, but there's, it's, it's just this, it's, I don't know whether Aaron's seen it or not, but I mean, we pass in the same areas. He knows who Shields is and, and, I'm, and I'm sure Tim has also, but this is something I constantly hear. And so 
it's like there's this retreatist mentality because we don't want to be like that. And then with that, in the 90s and late 80s came this seeker-sensitive mu- movement, which infected everything. Right. And so the movement is, how can we make the world happy with us? Well, if all of a sudden the world is, is you have to make the world happy by not going to church, which is what we're in now with this uh, lockdown. Right. That's all right. And, <laughs> then seeker-sensitive movement just killed us, mm-hmm. right? The, the bomb just went off in our hands. Yeah. You know, I, I, I've uh, connected, I think, some of this to... Uh, you know, one of the things that the church has become afraid of or become embarrassed of is, is certain scripture verses in the Bible. And there's certain Bible verses that everyone knows. Well, if you preach that from the pulpit, you're going to get in trouble, probably not only from members of outside your church, but probably even from members from inside your church. And so there's this been kind of this already softening or this really embarrassment of God's word. Um, mm-hmm. And, and I, and, and I think that's kind of why we're seeing this moment play out. I mean, you know, and even even there, we even have this bigger uh, problem with the Old Testament. You know, um, how do we how do we even sort through what the old te- how the Old Testament applies to our times? Well, and I think um, we're kind of eating some of our our pudding that we've that we've been serving for for decades, and and because we don't have a biblical view of how God's law applies now, of course through through the resurrection of Jesus, but we don't have a biblical view of how God's law applies now. Now we're kind of in this whole mess and God's kind of forcing the church to kind of learn these issues now. No, that's right, Gabe. And I think, I mean, I, I outlined a little bit of a historical reason with two points of history, but I think I might be tracing how we got there. But I mean, exegetically, the church has been compromised for a long time, partially because of those issues. And so there seems nobody, nobody, there's an, there's almost a, a terror to be like John the Baptist and actually tell the king that the law must apply to his life. Exactly. How he governs are like uh, Elijah and tell Ahab that the law must apply to him. And he has no right uh, to steal Naboth's vineyard. And our premier has no right to steal these people's businesses. And so there is a, there is a timidity. And I think that tim- timidity is, is ungodly. Yeah. God has not given us a spirit of fear. And uh, we should be fearless in the face of, of all men because we're bringing to them a message from heaven. Yeah. Now, Pastor uh, Aaron, um, when I was doing a research on, on, on you a little bit before before the show, I noticed you, you actually wrote an article on the Gospel Coalition's website in Canada. Is that true? <laughs> yeah, I have, I have a blog called Pursuit of Glory. And there's been a couple of occasions when my um, sort of right-hand man at the church has submitted articles to TGC. I don't remember if there's one, two, or three. I, I honestly can't recall, but I have uh, written for them in the past. Um, of course, you might be aware that I wrote an article calling the church in Canada to divine obedience uh, over civil obedience, and and that received quite quite a bit of pushback from the TGC boys and and others across the country. But I but I stand by it. So um, you know, I, I I've tried to be somewhat broadly connected. Uh, over the uh, sure. 27 years I've been pastoring in this province. Um, so I, I have a lot of uh, friendships and relationships. And, you know, historically, I've appreciated many of the things that, um, you know, those guys have been doing. But obviously, there's uh, been some lines drawn in the sand as well that have made those relationships more than awkward. Right. Now, um, I, I assume your story, story is kind of similar to, to Jacob, you know, um, uh, kind of deferring to author, uh, to civil authorities for a little bit, which is, you know, I think the, I think we all believe at some level that the civil authorities have 
a role in emergency situations. And, and so there, there's probably some deference, I imagine, with your church and kind of watching what the civil authorities are going to do. And, and then over time, realizing that these are draconian and now they're overstepping their bounds. Has that kind of been your, uh, you know, process through all this? Yeah, during lockdown number one uh, last spring, you know, we were just kind of blindsided by all this. None of us have ever lived through a quote unquote pandemic. So we closed our church down, but it wasn't too long into this that I started to see the devastation upon our people. So myself, my colleague, um, wrote a letter to the premier. We hoped to get 20 or 30 churches to sign that with us. We ended up getting 445 mm. and were able to negotiate the reopening of the province of Ontario last, um, last June. And then, of course, coming into this second lockdown, um, you know, our church stood firm. We refused to close our building down, and that was on December the 20th. So I became, you know, the kind of the first guy in the province um, to be charged under the Reopening Ontario Act. Okay. And then subsequent to that, they just said, we're not even going to let you have access to your property. We're literally going to block your parking lots. So then we were sort of forced, um, you know, out of our facility and kind of negotiated and ended up doing, um, you know, the parking lot service until the last week when we reopened uh-huh. and so you're you're back so open I've, now yeah i'm open now okay. so you know I'm, i've obviously been very very outspoken about this jacob and i have you know walked in in lockstep on this um since last year yeah uh, we've seen the devastation in our churches we've seen the overreach of the government you know we we want to be respectful of civil authorities my father served as a warden of a county in ontario and as a, a mayor and I'm appreciative of those that serve in, in public office. But what I've said is, um, you know, that the, the state has no authority, zero authority over the worship life, the celebration of the sacraments right. of the church. And our history, actually on both sides of the border, maybe a little more clearly on yours than ours, points to that. The church is Christ's embassy. We are sovereign territory. That's why we don't pay taxes to the emperor. Um, we are sovereign territory. We, you know, we do believe, you know, in the ontological separation of church and state Mm -hmm. and the state has biblically and historically zero authority over whether I preach or don't preach, what I preach, who I baptize, when I baptize, whether I want to greet a person with a holy kiss or not. And they've stepped right into that. Now, I don't mind a level of collaboration. So for example, if there was a killer virus sweeping through our community and the health authorities contacted us and said, Hey, you know, we want to have a conversation. Can you do this and this, you know, we, we'd be reasonable about that, but that's not how things have come down. Uh, You know, we, we, as they're we've been threatened. The police in Canada have broke the criminal code by entering our churches and shutting us down. That's against section 176 of the criminal code. Wow. They've broken the criminal code of our country in order to enforce, um, you know, health, health orders. Right. And they've also uh, failed to provide us. It, it's required in our, our charter, which is part of our constitution, that they require, uh, they're required to provide us with justifiably demonstrable reasons for suspending our charter rights. They haven't done that. Right. I mean, you, you got to mind WHO or the CDC or, repeatedly write letters to your local health unit to try to get data and and you're left with nothing. Right. So we feel like we're being played. 
Um, we're not denying that there's a virus, but we have a very large church. One of every 300 people in the county of Essex is associated with our church. Wow. Zero hospitalizations, zero deaths, zero. Right. But our church is closed, and we've had people apostatize in this process, new believers fallen, fallen back yeah. you know, into the old ways. We've had um, you know, people with pretty significant depression. So there's a whole bunch of collateral damage from the closure, right. zero damage from the virus. Right. But for, for five of the last 11 months, we've been locked down. And so obviously, we're not only theologically opposed to this and legally opposed to it, but from, a, from the perspective of a pastor's heart, I mean, your heart has to go out to your people who are being devastated by these ridiculous and silly lockdowns, right. which which has now become lockdownism, right? You know, in our country. Now, now you mentioned that um, that the church reports to Jesus. The church doesn't report to the government. That the, the government has no say in worship and sacraments, etc. Uh, and it seems like I think that maybe that that's kind of one of the areas um, that the church has been very weak at when we talked about, when I talked about earlier, the Bible, you know, the church has been embarrassed of certain texts in the scriptures or certain Bible verses in the scriptures. Well, um, also the church hasn't related to that. The church hasn't discipled well its people and how to think about the relationship between uh, the church and politics. You know, that's actually been kind of a taboo formula right. that we don't even touch. And, and, but this, this goes back to the, the, the government telling you that your sheetrock screws need to be eight inches apart in your, in your, inside your church building. This goes yeah. back to your, your church building has, you know, uh, fire codes that comes from, you know, the, the, the government telling you how many people you can have in your building and how many you can't. Uh, and so we've kind of abdicated in very small ways for a long time. And now, you know, um, I, I guess part of, um, to get to my question is, you know, when's, when's the last time maybe you've been forced to even preach on the issue of, of the, the role of government in relationship to the church, you know? Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, we, we want to be collaborative and reasonable and, you know, if they come in and say, Hey, we'd like you to have fire extinguishers hung every 20 feet. Okay. Whatever. We're not going to get all worked up about that, but you're right. You know, historically you look at Romans 13, which is, you know, the new favorite verse, right. In, in, in the world today, Yeah, it used to be John three sixteen, then it was Matthew seven, one. Now it's Romans 13. And um, you look there at the job description of the state. And it's, it's very limited to the bearing of the sword, i.e. public justice. That's it. Right. Now the state has taken over, you know, they, they regulate your land. You want to plant a tree, you got to get a permit. You want to cut a tree down, you got to get a permit. You want to buy a dog, you got to get a dog tag. Um, you want to go fishing, you got to get a fishing license. You got to get a gun license, a hunting license, a duck license. I mean, you got to get a driver's license, a license plate, a sticker for your license plate. Yes. They're regulating you know, you practically have to have a license now to breathe. Right. So they, they've regulated everything. And, you know, most of us are young enough that this is the, this is the way it's always been in our, you know, in, entire lives. I was born in the early seventies. This is just the way it's always been. Right. But now in a situation like this, you realize, uh Oh, we've contributed to the, to the, to the building up of this beast mm -hmm. that now says, well, we have authority over how many people are allowed in your church. Mm -hmm. No, you're not baptizing anybody for the next, you know, six months because you got to touch them to do so. Right. So we got these fools on the internet doing avatar baptisms as a substitute for incarnational baptisms. Are you serious? 
no, there's, there's, there's churches that are doing that. A friend of mine was on a, 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 a pastor's forum online and, and they were demonstrating how to do avatar baptism. So you show up with your little guy and the pastor shows up as a little guy and you, you baptize the person. And this is considered a genuine bona fide Christian baptism. Wow. This is how absurd it's become. And we're, 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 look, we're, we're grasping for all these alternatives to incarnational Christian biblically based ministry because the almighty state has stepped in and told us how to do church. Yeah. So, um, that's, so yeah, that's with, with, Gnosticism is what that is. Literally. Yeah, I mean, it's an avatar it's baptism. It's, it's, yeah. it's also, it's, it's stupidism. It's foolishism. It's <laughs> wickedism. It's a, it's a whole lot of isms in wow. there yeah. um, that are going on. So I, I think to Jake, you, you asked Jacob earlier about one of the problems. I think one of the problems is we have, we haven't actually thought through this doctrine that we've all seen in our church doctrinal statements growing up, the separation of the church and state. We historically have this notion, we do the preaching, we kind of hang out over here and do our little thing and meet the sentimental needs of people. And then the government does its thing Mm -hmm. and ne'er the twain shall meet. And so the government keeps sort of taking on more and more and more authority. Mm -hmm. The church cowers and buckles because, you know, it feels, frankly, the the Canadian church and maybe the the American church has a, a major self inferiority complex. Yeah. And the reason for that is because we're more concerned about the applause of men. We're man pleasers. That's right. Than we are about the sovereign rule of Christ over our lives and our churches. Right. And, you know, we, we talk about judgment day. We talk about accountability. We talk about standing before the Lord and giving account for the things we've done in the body, whether they be good or bad. Mm-hmm. We preach all this stuff. And even our, uh, you know, those that are opposed to us preach these things. But when push comes to shove, it doesn't seem to understand how to apply them. Right. So there's there's a problem with passivity in the pulpit. There's a, an ill-defined theology of church and state. Yep. Yep. There's an ill-defined theology of what it means to do incarnational ministry. Yep. Um, th- there's a whole series of things. The seminaries are partly at fault. We're partly at fault. Obviously, there's I believe there's a, a satanic battle going on right now. I mean, right. the devil's loving it. He's yeah. separating pastors and churches and breaking people up and People are leaving churches and coming and people are upset. People are apostatizing and stringing themselves up in their barn. I mean, there's a, there's a whole bunch of things that are going on right now. It's, it's a, it's a tragedy right. going on in our, our country and, and world. Today. And the reality, the reality is, is the church has, has lost its zeal to fight. Um, you know, it, uh, we've talked about this a lot on, on cross politic and a lot on our network. And, you know, I mean, our taglines fight, laugh, feast, because one of the reasons is the church, we, we, we believe the church has lost its zeal, has lost its vision on what fighting is. You know, we believe in the 11th commandment. That shall be nice. Uh, but it, you know, um, the Christian life is a life of fighting. That I mean, that's just, you know, doctrine of sanctification, fighting and dying to sin, you know, but that extends out into the world. If, if you don't fight for truth, well, in the world, then you're you're it's a you're you're going to lose. You have a, a losing theology. Uh, you you have to fight for freedom. Uh, to lose your freedoms, you just stop fighting. Just be lazy. Lose your freedoms. Stop fighting. And, and so I think uh, the the church has lost. I mean, I think part of we've fought. We've had more challenges trying to get the church to stand up uh, and 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 to see the vision that it, that it does take fighting. And the church needs to needs to recommit themselves to what it means to be fighting Christians. You know, of course, our our weapons are 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 
not carnal weapons. Obviously, I'm not referring to that at all. But uh, for the church to the members to engage in community, engage in culture, it, it, it's it's a it's a battle. It's a constant battle. And and you know, I understand that we need to be wise serpents, innocent doves. I understand that you know we need to you know work with our city and all this. But because we haven't been fighting for the right things, for the glory of God, for the application of His word in this world, uh, and that He's King of Kings over the government. I mean, Jesus is. It, this is not a two kingdom scenario where Jesus is only king over the church and over king over spiritual things, but he's actually king over uh, the church and king over the physical things and king over, you know, I want Barack Obama to bow his knee to Jesus. I want president Biden to bow his knee to Jesus. I want president Trump to bow his knee to Jesus. I want you all, you know, prime minister to bow his knee to Jesus. And, but we've lost that vision of how the church fights and engages in this, in this world. You're working on, um, the Liberty Coalition of Canada. So it sounds like, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about what the Liberty Coalition of Canada is? What is it doing in Canada? I know Pastor Jacob's involved in it. I believe Pastor Tim is is, is involved in it over in uh, Alberta. But um, uh, Pastor Aaron, why don't you talk about the Liberty Coalition of Canada? Sure. So, you know, when you, when you get ticketed and then you get blocked out of your parking lot and then another guy gets ticketed and then another guy gets an injunction thrown at him and then another guy gets thrown in jail and you're not getting any wins. You know, you, you sort of feel like you're casting your pearls before the swine. And um, we, we met uh, at an undisclosed time in an undisclosed place in an undisclosed location <laughs> uh, some time ago at a certain time in history. Yeah. With um, in the, in the year of our Lord, <laughs> in the year of our Lord, I don't want to incriminate myself any further. I, I've had enough of the charges and tickets, but uh, there was about forty pastors and politicians that met, and we just realized, you know what, we we can't just you know keep charging the gates, trying to pry open the doors and whatever else. We have to. We're in for a long term fight. Yeah. So out of that, the Liberty Coalition really is a coalition of various initiatives. So the one initiative is a reopening of the church initiative. So there's pastors involved in that. Another initiative is a political initiative. So we've been able to uh, link arms with um, elected officials or previously elected officials from all three levels of government, municipal, provincial, and federal. And they've started something called the uh, end the lockdown um, caucus so they're working on all levels of government to try to speak out against lockdownism. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's an initiative for um, parents, especially mothers. So right now, I happen to be at home right now. Right now, my wife's upstairs. She's on another Zoom call with, I don't know, 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 or whatever mm-hmm. moms that are involved in an initiative called Save Our Youth because we're realizing the decisions that our generation is making is going to have catastrophic uh, ramifications for the generations to come after. And it's already negatively affecting them. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the schools are shut and in some respects that's good because they are part of the problem, Mm -hmm. but kids don't have a lot of access to education right now. Right. We have, um, the suicides are up in our country. They probably are in yours as well. They, they, Mm -hmm. this not only among working people who are unemployed, but also youth. Yep opioid addiction, pornographic addiction. You know, they're yep. sitting at home with nothing to do, yep. watching pornos all the time. Right. Um, so we have all these things. And so we have the voice of the you know, mothers are powerful voices in culture. Yep. You don't mess with mom. <laughs> so we have a lot of mothers that are involved in speaking out against that. And then we have a small business initiative where we've joined arms with many 
small business owners who are being devastated by these lockdowns. Mm -hmm. So those are the four components. We're hoping to add another component, a medical component, where we have medical professionals that are allies speak out against the foolishness of what's going on, the overreach, but also provide some meaningful answers. So this is a um, a coalition uh, of Christian people, and I would call them righteous Gentiles, who see the tragedy in all this. Yeah. And again, there's a business component, political component, component for parents and component for pastors. And we're basically um, kind of taking this multi-pronged approach to try to communicate to our culture, to reshape, reshape the narrative, the narrative, challenge the narrative and provide better options for all these different levels of, of Canadian society. Right now. Um, so it sounds like people go to this website and sign up on those various coalitions and, and there's ways for them to get involved. You want to talk about that? Yeah. So there's, there's some petitions on there. There's resources on there. Uh, we've created all kinds of graphics. So if you want to get involved in the save our youth initiative, you can grab those graphics off there. You can post them on your Twitter, your Facebook, your Instagram. We're also encouraging people because a lot of politicians watch their social media. So like our premier, has a team of social media people that watch, well, what are the responses I'm getting to my social media posts? So go on there and voice your concerns, challenge the narrative. If the, you know, the, the local newspaper or you know, the mainstream media is, is propagating lies, challenge the narrative or demand evidence. So we have a lot of people involved in that as well, but it's a very grassroots sort of simple way. You just get on, you challenge the narrative, you challenge the narrative. You say, I don't, I don't agree with this. Right. Um, you, you, you know, you use your social media cause a lot of these, it's, it's kind of weird, but a lot of these fights are being won and lost based upon what people think on social media. Wow. And if yeah. the premier or the prime minister or the, you know, whoever the magistrate might be is hearing from all the pro lockdownites mm-hmm. who generally are government employees or, you know, on comfy pensions that this is a great idea. Please lock us down again and everybody's going to die. Um, if that's all they're hearing from, they're going to continue, continue this. I just heard today from, a, um, I would say, a, um, secure, um, I'm not sure what the word would be, trustworthy source yeah. in our yeah. provincial government. They're planning on locking us down again in April. Whoa. And there's been talks about, uh, in our country, about using lockdowns as a go-forward bona fide medical response to future viruses, perhaps annually. So if if people don't start speaking out against this, this could become part of the fabric of Canadian call. Let's lock everybody down every winter and every spring because, you know, there's another COVID 2021 is snuck across the pond. Right. So we have to speak out against this stuff and we have to do it. The more people we get, we've had several million people view the site. I haven't, looked at the uh, stats recently, but 30 or 40 or 50, I'm not sure, thousand that have signed the petition, I believe, some of the petitions. So it is picking up steam. Right. Uh, Pastor Tim, let me bring you into this. Pastor Tim is uh, the pastor of Fairview Baptist Church in Alberta, actually Calgary area. Um, Pastor Tim, why don't you come in and and kind of um, maybe update us on what is going on in uh, Alberta, especially with uh, Pastor James Coates, where he's at, I, I knew or I heard he had a hearing yesterday. Um, what is going on from that hearing and, and 
where do things stand in Alberta? Yeah. Now, let me just start off by saying thanks to you, Gabe, just for getting the word out just about the Canadian church and then for the work that, that you're doing, Jacob and, and Aaron, because, you know, the stuff that you guys write and speak about and get out on the web, uh, the sermons you preach, you know, those those are having an impact uh, even here in Alberta and and, and we, we share them around. So I just want to want to thank you uh, for that. But just just to keep you updated on, on what's going on here in, in Alberta, especially with, with James, um, there was a was a hearing uh, yesterday uh, and was a hearing just to set the trial date for for James Coates. And so his trial date is set to May 3rd and it's going to be a three day trial. And so that means he's he's in jail until uh, the 3rd of May. Now, um, his lawyer, James Kitchen, is is trying to appeal the bail conditions so he can get home earlier than that. Um, but if, but but things stand the way they are. Uh, he, he's going to be in prison until until May third into his trial. So it, it's 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 heartbreaking. You know, some of the things that, that Jacob shared is this absolutely heartbreaking because because not only is this you know a brother in Christ, um, you know, a fellow pastor. You know, he's he's about three hours away from from my city where I'm at, but but I've I've known James for many years and and uh, we we've really grown closer. And I'm I'm sure you know same as with Aaron and Jacob, the other guys in Ontario. You you go closer as you kind of walk this road together. And so we right. connected probably last, last fall and, and sh- sharing stories about how things were going in our churches as we navigated kind of week by week, uh, just preparing ourselves for, for consequences that may come as our churches are open. So, so the way, way stands, the way things stand in, uh, in Alberta right now, I just want to share with maybe some of your listeners, but, but Alberta is about four and a half million people. About half of that population is in two cities, Edmonton to the North Calgary to the South. Mm-hmm. And, and right now across our province, um, According to their latest numbers, there, there's 51 people across the whole province in the ICU with COVID and 300 people in hospital. So there, there's hardly there's hardly anyone right now affected by this uh, by this virus or at least, at least seriously. Um, but yet our churches are limited to to 15 percent uh, capacity, and and that's and that's um, with, with full distancing, uh, full full mask usage all the time. Um, People are like hospitality is completely restricted. You can't have anybody in your home who's not part of your, your household, any outdoor gatherings, no more than 10. And so the lockdown here is still, uh, and, and it's been eased in other places in Canada, uh, but it's still quite uh, tight and, and, and restrictive uh, for churches here. So we, we do have, you know, not only was it Grace Life in Edmonton and, and our church in Calgary, but uh, there, there's slowly a growing number of churches. Yeah. Uh, especially in the rural areas, maybe they've already been open and, and not following all these guidelines who, who are now making themselves known. Right. Uh, because of what's happened to James. Uh, what, uh, you know, it seems like I could ask each of you guys this question really, but uh, Pastor Tim, you know, it seems like this lockdown never would have gotten bad in the first place if churches would have been standing up together in unison. You just can't arrest, you know, hundreds of thousands of Christians. You just can't do that. And, and, um, you know, why, what, what is going on? Are the churches starting to wake up about all this or church starting to get unified in all this? What's going on there? Uh, I, I wish I could say that that was true, but it, it seems like it's still a small, but, but slowly growing uh, movement. I've kind of piggybacked off what they're doing in Ontario with the Liberty Coalition Canada. So just sending people to that site. And then anybody who signs that up from Ontario, I want to contact them and, and try to find a way that we can get connected and start and start working together. Um, so it's, it's unfortunate. I'm not really sure. I, I know even in my own church, there, there's real issues with, with trying to get um, your, your church on board. So depending on how, how your church is governed and, and how it's led right. and, and the people that are in leadership, I, I know 
you know, our, our church has gone through it, its own turmoil through this time. I, I think right. now more than ever, we're, we're more united as, as, uh, as members and as a church, but there's really been, been lots of, uh, of turmoil going through that time. But, but what I, I don't think that somebody passes in our, in our province know is just how, how hurting uh, Christians are across the province. So there, there might be a, a good number, but a good minority in all these churches that are just, they're, they're so hurt. And then whenever churches open and, and then when, when I, when I hear from them, they reach out to us you know, and, and if they were come to visit us, you know, as soon as, as soon as we start singing as a congregation, they haven't, they haven't sang for almost a year now. And then it just, just floodworks, tears coming from their eyes. They, they've never given a handshake or a hug with, with somebody for, wow. for months and upon months. And then so, so to do that, I just don't think pastors realize just how hurting yeah. Uh, so many people are and so many Christians and, and they're lost and they don't have shepherds and they, they don't have brothers and sisters they're able to come together with. We had, we had uh, a few couples in our church that said, you know, in these past few months of lockdown, uh, they've never been invited in people's homes uh, more than they had the last few months, even, even years in their previous churches. And so, and, and that, and that's when it was completely prohibited to have someone in your home. And so I, th- I think it's exposed maybe some of the weaknesses in, in, in churches where, where they've neglected hospitality, they, they've neglected a real incarnational approach to ministry. And so it, as COVID came, it was so easy for them to adapt and go online. And, and you know, those weaknesses weren't really exposed. But uh, I think Christians out there are, are hurting uh, because of this. Right. And it seems like, you know, part of the, I think part of the challenge is kind of moving forward is obviously sorting through how to continue to be wise, how to continue to press the issue and how to keep the pressure on. You know, we've talked about this on the show before. One of the uh, one of the lost um, principles that the church has kind of neglected is kind of the art of pursuit. Uh, in in battle, if you have a victory, well, oftentimes you don't you don't want to retreat and go back to camp. You actually want to figure out how to pursue. Um, and of course, that takes wisdom and everything. But it seems like one of the areas in all this, I like what you guys are doing. The Liberty uh, Coalition Canada dot com website, uh, but one of the areas that needs to be figured out how to continue to pursue is to, uh, you know, maybe eventually have more pastors end up in the same cells as pastor Coates, like press that issue. I mean, get, you know, uh, you know, get 10 pastors in that jail cell, make, make it just that much more embarrassing, uh, for everyone involved. I know, I know cops probably don't even want pastor James in there, but they're going along with it, arresting him and putting him in. What's kind of the tactic? What's the plan of approach right now with the churches in Canada regarding Pastor James Coates? Well, if I, I could speak to that. I mean, not just with regard to Pastor James, um, but the, he is, um, you know, a, a victim, if you will, of a false narrative in culture, false theology in the church, and sin in the church, cowardice weakness, timidity, these kinds of things. So, you know, we're men of truth. So one of the ways to win this battle is with truth. So we have to preach hard. We have to write our articles. We have to confront error. We have to challenge the cultural narrative and just keep doing it. Uh, I think that it would be naive for us to assume that we just, got here in the past year. I think there's been a a lack of teaching. There's been uh, a a false narrative on many levels, you know, role of the government in the church, 
the meaning of what it means to be a faithful witness. This is critical. Uh, These are false narratives and false theologies that have been floating around in our churches and everything has just kind of come to a head. So for example, to that point, I think a lot of Christians believe and because they have a, we have a missionary heart, right? Like we're a post Christian culture. We have a very low percentage of Bible believing faithful Christians in the first place in our country. And when we were kids, you know, many of us grew up in churches where new people never came through the door. So the pendulum swung the other way. We started thinking about you know, all the church growth stuff, how to grow our churches and on and on and on. And what has happened, I think, over the last several years is many people in our country, many churches believe that being a faithful witness equals being approved by society. Yeah. Whereas we would say being a faithful witness equals obedience to the word of God. Mm-hmm. That is your faithful witness that the Holy Spirit uses to bring people to faith in Jesus Christ and to help them to grow and be sanctified. Mm-hmm. So we have these, that's just one example of a, a, a false notion in people's mind about what it means to be a faithful Christian that affects their response to this situation. I don't want to be a bad witness. I want to love my neighbor. I don't want to do anything weird like Jacob and Aaron have done, <laughs> or certainly, you know, pastor Coates, what a lunatic, you know, what a cult leader. And Christians actually perpetuate this narrative. Mm-hmm. They're, they're more embarrassed by the conduct. Some of them are more embarrassed by the conduct of Pastor James Coates for his faithful witness than, than they are by their own duplicity uh, in what's going on in culture. Yep. Where we, we are essentially got a big, a big sign up front of our churches right now that says, we are not essential. We don't matter. We have nothing to offer. There's a plague. We're going to run from it. We say we have resurrection. Hope we don't. Mm. Uh, we, we, we say we want to be salt and light, but we're really not interested in that. Um, so that there's all these things. So I think, I think a lot of it is a truth fight. We got to preach hard. We got to preach our way out of this, reeducate our, our people out of this. Mm-hmm. I think um, one of the things we've been talking about in our church is um, more of our people need to run for office. Right. I never talked about that in the churches I grew up in. Yeah. More of our people need to run for office, municipal, provincial, federal. We need to get righteous, God-fearing people in positions of office increasingly to make a difference. We need people to rise up in education. I said, hey, if you're an educator, become the principal of your school as fast as you can. Right. If you're in law, become a judge as fast as you can. If you're the president of a, or a you know, mid-level manager of some corporation, Rise up, become the CEO as fast as you can. Right. We need more Christians to have a voice in culture yeah. who live out their Christian faith and values. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, we need to pray. We're having a whole week of prayer and fasting, which we, we're inviting churches anywhere and everywhere to participate in. We have a friend in Romania. They're participating at several churches in Canada, I think in the U.S., mm-hmm. from February 28th to March 6th called a, a week of sacred assembly. Let's pray and fast. Let's ask for the Lord to do what we can't. Right. So a multi-pronged approach, I think is where, where we need to um, move. And, you know, Jacob's mentioned, you know, calling out those that have acted shamefully. I, I think that's necessary. Yeah. Many of them are probably so self-protective and, um, convinced of their position. I'm not convinced we're going to get a lot of traction from right. them, Right. but we still have to call them out. Right. I, I think uh, just on what Aaron's saying, one of the things that I really believe, uh, Gabe, 
And I, I mean, we have to preach, we have to teach, but we have to suffer. And I think the gospel of Jesus Christ is going to advance when we suffer. How are we going to get James Coates out of jail? Well, I think James Coates is going to get out of jail two ways. One, the authority is going to let him out of jail. So the Crown Prosecutor is going to drop the charges. You know, the judge is going to rule. Or two, the churches are all going to open and say, come get me. Amen. And then all of a sudden they can't do it. They can't handle it. Right. So I, I don't know. I don't know why more churches haven't been willing to suffer. It's right. like we've bought into this lie that the kingdom of God advances through a bed of roses. The gospel of Jesus Christ has come to us, and the word of God has come to us by the blood of the martyrs. Yep. And we're not willing to go out there and get a few fines and get locked up in jail. That's right. I mean, this, that, this is really my heartbeat, Gabe, yeah. is the fact that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ needs to stand up in this country and put on the big boy pants and take a beating for the Lord. Yeah. And when more guys start following James Coates' example, then that's when it's going to happen. I, I I think I think that's the amen to that. And it's I think that's probably been one of my probably most disheartening thing. I've been super encouraged by by you, Jacob, and 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 Pastor Coates, and 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 I've been encouraged by a number of pastors here in the U.S. But that's probably been uh, the biggest letdown is is how many pastors won't stand up and how many pastors won't speak out and how many pastors. Um, are more happy to kind of you know whatever keep their Starbucks hours or keep their Zoom hours than to actually you know put some skin in the game and, and stand up and all this. I mean, like you guys, well, Lou, Lou, go ahead, please go. No, I I think you're dealing with an unregenerate clergy. Like I think the biggest Ooh. one of the biggest problems in the Canadian church is an unregenerate clergy. Like I don't understand it. I've I've gone to funerals where guys share nothing about the gospel but make three or four jokes about how fat they are. I mean, this is. This is how, yeah. this is my observation with the church in Canada and, and churches in our area. And I don't even think a lot of the pastors even understand what the gospel is. So I know yeah. I'm going to get in more trouble for saying this stuff and, and people are going to talk and everything else. But in my mind, when you have a pastor in jail, it's not the time to start holding things back. It's time for guys to get out there and guys to start saying, come and take me, come and beat me up. I want to suffer for my king. Yeah. Amen. Gabe, I'll, I'll mention too that Please. Um, on, two, on two occasions, when I was being um, fined and, you know, the ongoing conversations with the police and whatnot, they mentioned, and actually the the premier, I think mentioned it sort of calling Jacob out when he broke the injunction, they mentioned, well, well, other churches are okay with closing. Other churches are doing zoom. So one thing I would say to any pastors that are watching that may be mildly offended by my comments or Jacob's comments because maybe you've taken some heat in your church because people are listening to men like us and like, why isn't our pastor doing something guys? Your, your stance was used in part to fine us to put injunctions on churches like Jacobs and to put men like pastor Coates in jail, your decisions, the precedent you set there was used. There's uh, violence and as a witness against James Coates. Their silence and the refusal to act is yep. a witness against James Coates, and they will answer for that on Judgment Day. That's right. So I think what what people need to understand is passivity is not an option. Mm-hmm. If you are saying nothing, you are saying something. You are affirming the cultural narrative. You're saying something. Now, Jacob and I were chatting earlier this week with a couple of buddies, and I said, I think, I think there's like four classifications of, of pastors in all of this. 
there's the radical left liberals that definitely aren't regenerate. You know, we have we have people in our area that have written letters uh, to officials calling people like us out and actually, you know, saying we're pro lockdown, essentially, we're, we're going to abide by the orders. Mm-hmm. I call these the CNN Christians, <laughs> whatever the cultural narrative is, that's their, that's their narrative. Right. They, if, if the LGBTQs in style, they're, they're, they're fine with that. Right. If um, cultural Marxism in style, they're fine with that. Right. If lockdownisms in style, they're fine with that. So, I don't really even pay much attention to them because I don't expect anything right. more. The most painful group are guys that are in our tribe theologically, mm-hmm. you know, guys we've gone to school with guys we've co-labored with. Right. Uh, many of whom are promulgating the government's narrative. And I think some of them have acted in bad faith. They've played dirty pool with us. They've tried to posture themselves as co-belligerents and then gone behind our backs and whatnot. Right. They'll have to answer to the Lord for that. Frankly, I, I just can't see how the Lord's going to bless their ministry. They're just taking out a gun and shooting themselves in the foot. Right. Because how, how are you ever going to get up in front of your people again and preach a sermon on persecution or suffering right. or taking a bold stance for Christ if you can't handle a little fine? Nope. It's not going to happen. So, so, so there's that group. Then there's two more groups. There's guys that are, they're, they're young or they're, they're ill-informed uh-huh. or they're ill-equipped and they're just kind of waffling. That's the group we're kind of going after because we think we can bring them on side. Right. You know, I mean, you got you to give a little bit more of a break to a guy that's been in ministry for six months in his first church that just stumbled out of seminary last right. summer, right? right. So there, there's that group. And then, and then there's the group that, there's a group of guys that actually want to open, but as Pastor Tim mentioned, they may be in a church context where the ecclesiology does not make decision making easy. Right. You know, there's multi, you got to have meetings and posts in the bulletin and, you know, multiple councils and this person has to approve it and that person has to approve it. So there's guys that want to open. I, I had a friend of mine up in Sarnia say, I, I feel ashamed because I wanted to open and I thought we were going to open. But when my leaders saw what happened to you, Aaron and Windsor, they, they just, they ran. Oh, so um, this is a guy that wants to open, but his elders or deacons or whoever runs the church, I'm not sure what the structure is, won't, won't stand with him. Right. Coates preached now, a sermon and uh, James Coates preached a sermon before Christmas where he said that those elders need to get off the elders board. If they're in churches with a pastor that wants to open, the elders need to get off. And then you right. get some men in there who have uh, the, you know, the, the boldness of the Holy Spirit and have, have a lamp with some oil in it as opposed to just a lamp and no oil. Wow. Yeah. And if they what don't, I found here in Alberta. Pardon me. When I found what I found here in Alberta is that we have we have churches and pastors who 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 have have been open who have but have been off the radar. So health authorities haven't haven't necessarily complained and, and they've have been more but more secretive about doing it. And so what what I've been trying to encourage them is to is to take take a bolder approach and, and to be more public because our, our premier has said, well, this is this is just one church, this is just one guy, you know, this this is not this is not the norm. But I know many others are meeting. Um, and, 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 and flaunting the, the guidelines, but doing more secretively. So if we have those guys um, be, be more public, but I, I know there's this concern about, about backlash and such, but, but my encouragement to them would, would be 
you know, to be a gospel witness because, you know, yes, the world will hate you whenever, whenever they know that you're open, but at the same time, you, you have the world now looking at you and now you have a, have a voice for the gospel, a voice for Christ. And even some of James Coates sermons, I know have made the rounds among unbelievers in our province yep. and, and, and in the premier's comments, even at some of his press conferences, it sounds like he actually has been listening to some of James Coates sermons. And wow. so it's just, just the, the, the broad reach uh, of a church when they just, will boldly be open and publicly be open. And so that's, that's part of the initiative that we're trying to do in Alberta is just having guys put their names, put their churches, you know, where they are and say, premier, we, we are open and uh, we stand with James. We stand for the gospel. Christ is Lord of the church. Amen. And, so, and so hopefully that encourages others to do the same. Tim's lived that too. I mean, Tim, what you've had like, like what, 20 cops at your church one Sunday. And then, and then yeah. you kind of backed off for a little bit. And then once you found the coach got arrested, Tim just said, we're opening up and come and get me. I stand with coats. And I, I respect that. You see a brother take a beating. We had, when we were taking a beating, a guy, a guy down the road from us in Tilsonburg, Steve, Steve Richardson, I never even met him. He starts calling the media in our town and says, come on, stop picking on Rayom. I want you to pick on me. And by the way, I'm opening my church illegally. So come and get me. Awesome. I mean, that's the kind of spirit that we need. Yeah. It, you know, if you've got a guy that's taking a beating from the world, let's jump on the ice and take a beating with him. Praise God. Amen. Well, um, uh, so LibertyCoalitionCanada.com. Uh, pastors, I just want to give you guys, you know, uh, 30 seconds each, 60 seconds each. Um, you know, it sounds like you guys have grown in this process too. You, you guys kind of grown in theologically and how you've been kind of sorting through all this. This is new, kind of a new scenario for you guys. Um, I'll start with Pastor Jacob and then we'll work over uh, Pastor Aaron and then Pastor Tim. But uh, Pastor Jacob, you know, how have you kind of grown in the Lord through this whole process? I, I think a concept that I've really had to wrap my mind around is something that I, I just stated. Um, and, and that is the concept that the kingdom of God comes through suffering. And I, and I, think, I think that for so long in, in our context, the kingdom of God has, we've, we've perceived the kingdom of God comes through hype and excitement. And, and the greatest advancement of the gospel come when the church is willing to take a beating, I think. And, and, I, and we're seeing that in our church. I mean, the fruit that we've borne is a result of the persecution that we have received is something like I've never seen. I just published a blog talking about we just got the, 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 uh, the charges or the, the fine came down for us. We're $83,000. We've been charged for being in contempt of court. But coming out of that Sunday, we had 13 baptisms last Sunday. Like, I, I, I have never seen this level of fruit in 20 years of ministry, never. And I've never seen this level of unity and sweetness mm -hmm. in the fellowship of the local church. Mm -hmm. And, and it's, how has it happened? It has happened as our church has become a, a place of public reproach in our community where the, it, like wow. our church is a reproach. Yep. Nobody's coming to Trinity Bible chapel because they want to gain social standing in Waterloo region right now. They're coming because they want to hear of, uh, they want to hear of the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think, I mean, I, I know that a lot of the wives of the pastors who are going through this are connecting and, and getting to know each other and having some very sweet fellowship. And I'm, I'm making new friends. I mean, um, Tim and I talked on the phone the other day for, I think about a good hour and we've never talked before. And we, we chatted, we had a mutual connection because we were both talking to James before he got arrested and, and went to jail. And I said, I, and then I saw Tim on the news the other night and I said, I got to reach out to this brother. Yeah. So and then Aaron and I have grown closer over the last year. And I mean, we've known each other for several years, but 
we're in regular contact now, and I, I think you're seeing you're seeing a movement of pastors galvanize, and the movement is growing, and it's really a beautiful thing to see. Mm-hmm. Pastor Aaron. Well, I've, I've certainly suffered in this. Um, I've had times of frustration and anger. I've had times of uh, irritation. I've had times of despair. And I'm not an emotional yo-yo at all. I'm a pretty stable guy in terms of my emotions. I wake up most mornings um, feeling pretty good about the day and looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but being disconnected from God's people, especially during lockdowns, I've been a Christian for over 40 years. I'll be honest, it took a toll on me. Mm-hmm. And yet at the same time, I have felt in an almost tangible way the prayers of God's people. Mm-hmm. And I find great joy in seeing the people of God just desperately want to be in church. I think I was telling you before the show, we have our silly little sign-ups on Sunday. And, um, you know, when the, when the sign-ups open on Wednesday at noon for Sunday, our main, it's like a mad scramble. <laughs> to get into church. Yeah. You know, we, we literally fill up three, 400 spots in one room in seven minutes. <laughs> so it's interesting how people are being super selfish in order to get to church. <laughs> but I, I think there's been a winnowing, a separation of the wheat and the chaff. So I'm finding joy in realizing that at the end of this, my church is going to be a little different in terms of the people. Some have left, many are coming. Mm-hmm but I think I'm going to have a real strong um, congregation that is willing to count the cost for Christ. I'm willing to count the cost. You know, we talk about open-handed pastoral leadership instead of closed fisted. Mm -hmm. Now we're, we're not just talking about it. We're putting it into practice and our people are as well. So I'm really, I'm blessed by how God is sanctifying us in terms of our trust and in reliance upon him. And I'm seeing that across the church. And I'll just say one more thing in my kids, you know, I have five kids from uh, 16 to 22 and they are taking a stand for Christ and they're taking a beating on social media. And it's, it's good that we're being a faithful witness to the next generation. Amen. Amen. Pastor Tim. Yeah. I think like these guys, these last, last few months have probably been the most difficult um, in, in ministry. Uh, most, most amount of times when, when you're just, you're weeping. You're, you're you're unsure what to do. You're you're dealing with so many issues, so many problems, uh, so much disunity. Uh, but but I think I think through this time, uh, what has been most most encouraging to me is is to a greater appreciation about the lordship of Christ. You, you mentioned just just thinking about uh, a public theology, thinking about the role of church and state, thinking about Christ and His sovereign rule over all things, and and so that is is so sweet and so so precious to me. Now I preached uh, Psalm two the other week and just 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 love talking about about the greatness of Christ and about King Jesus and and it, and the anticipation Sundays was always my my favorite day of the week but but coming to Sunday now man it, it's sweet to look forward to that time of fellowship time of singing uh, yeah. to hear the word preached and then and to come together as a, as a church family it, it's so special because we, we were hindered from it and you don't know what it's going to be the next week and so uh, and, and people are just eager they're e- eager to hear um, eager to be with one another and so it, it's it's a lovely thing. Thanks, pastors. Uh, hang on the line. I'm going to close this out here real quick, but I want to I want to finish with this for our audience. Um, this is First Peter uh, chapter three, verse thirteen, um, where Peter says, "Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer, even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor troubled, nor be troubled." 
But in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good, a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will for you. And, you know, like one of the things that I've learned in all this is like, you know, crank up the grills, you know, turn on the barbecue, crank up the grills, sing psalms, go to church, fellowship like you've, you've never had before. Be, you know, the, the beautiful thing in all this and all these challenges that are before us is that we realize how um, what our true identity and relationship is to God and to his church and to this world. So crank up the, the barbecue grills, go love each other, go sing Psalms and, and don't be scared for what God has for you. If you are, you know, if God has you to be arrested, don't be, don't be afraid of that because they can't, they can't hurt your flesh and they need to fear the one that can cast them into hell. So, Amen. um, Lord, Lord bless you guys. Uh, thank you audience for tuning in. Make sure you guys go to, uh, Liberty share that website, email it to your friends in Canada, and, and may, may God use this to bring a tidal wave of reformation and revival to Canada on the other side of, of this also. Thank you, pastors, for coming on. Thank you, audience, for tuning in. Lord bless you.